Ernest Shackleton was best known as a South Pole explorer who led four expeditions to the Antarctica in August of 1914. Shackleton embarked on an expedition to the Antarctica that almost cost him his life. During the expedition, Shackleton exhibited remarkable leadership capabilities and abilities and kept himself alive and kept his crew alive while being stranded for almost two years in brutally cold temperatures. History has labeled Shackleton and his two-year Antarctic survival as one of the most remarkable stories of heroism and leadership. Few people know about this, about Shackleton. Shackleton had lived by a motto or mission or creed by which he lived by faithfully, and it was this, by endurance we conquer. Say that with me, church. By endurance we conquer. In other words, with resolution, with persistence, with patience, with tenacity, we obtain success and victory. I want you to contemplate this question with me this morning. We're in this series of summer road trips. Have you ever had a summer road trip where you succeeded because you endured? Have you ever had a summer road trip where you succeeded because you endured? Well, I can tell you that the Prime family did. This one summer, we found ourselves going to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. It was a long journey to get there, I might add, with lots of detours and uh, roads that led to a dead end. But we eventually found our way to this nice little chalet that was in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. It was purchased up. picture-perfect place. Until the next morning when the boys opened the curtains on the lower level where they were sleeping, and there was a mama black bear looking at them in the window. And our youngest son, in his dramatic fashion that he has, went, bear! And everybody knew there was a bear. And that mama bear and her cub were persistent the whole week. They kept bugging us and showing up. And about two days before we were to leave, The next door neighbor, there was another chalet next to us, came over and said, just want you to know that this afternoon, this black bear kind of made its way into our chalet and just kind of had its way with our our whole place. And so the Prime family said, this is enough, we're leaving town. And we began our journey home in the mid-afternoon, going through New Hampshire and through the state of Maine and half of New Brunswick, stopping all along the way to find a hotel room, and we could not find a hotel room anywhere along the way. Then we arrived to the family cottage and spent the night there and hooked on the tent trailer, went to Prince Edward Island and was having a last weekend before the vacation ended, and don't you know that a hurricane showed up? And in the morning after the hurricane, we woke up to the tent trailer being poked in several places by a top of a tree that fell off onto the tent trailer. I believe that we survived the road trip because we endured. And oddly enough, that family vacation is one that we fondly remember despite the many opposing challenges that we had. Why do you suppose we warmly remember that specific summer road trip? Because we endured. We endured the bears, the long hours in the vehicle, the lack of available hotel rooms, the sleepless nights, the hurricane force winds, we endured. What would happen if we had not endured? At some point in all of that, we went, enough. We're going home. Pack up the bags. Let's just go. What if we had abruptly ended our vacation out of frustration and just gave up and went home? 
Well, I dare say we would have squandered some great family memories that we now have and experiences. And just the sheer satisfaction of we survived because we endured that family trip. I've learned this in life, and maybe you have too, that the only fight we lose is the fight that we give up. The only fight that we lose is the fight that we give up. Now, I realize that that's a pretty broad statement to make in such a setting as this this morning, and those who are watching online, it could be open to misinterpretation and even misuse and abuse. But in the context of today's discussion, when it comes to the work of Christ, endurance means victory. Perseverance means success. The spirit of endurance is woven through Paul's three road trips that we find in the book of Acts. In his first journey, his second journey, and his third journey. Endurance was not a new concept for Paul. In writing to Timothy, Paul describes in the last days of his life these words when he said to young Timothy, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. And then he goes on to say this to Timothy. Say it with me, church. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. There were three things that Paul was communicating to Timothy. He was saying that I have endured. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained what? Faithful. It just oozes endurance, does it not? Even in the face of death, Paul is saying and expressing a spirit of endurance. Why did Paul have a spirit of endurance? Why did he never throw in the towel? Why did he never quit and retreat back to Jerusalem to live in the villa and grow tomato plants? Why did he never do that? Because Paul's spirit of endurance was fueled by three factors that the Holy Spirit showed him in his missionary journeys. They were this, that life mattered, people mattered, and obedience mattered. He knew that life mattered, that we should never take this life for granted, that every day that we're able to wake up is a new opportunity, a new day for us to do the work of the Lord. Life mattered. Paul realized that. He realized that people mattered that there was the good news of Jesus Christ that needed to be told to as many people as wanted, wanted to hear it and to embrace it. He needed to go and tell people. So people mattered and obedience mattered. Wherever the Holy Spirit led Paul, that's where Paul went. Obedience mattered to the mission of God. In the last few days of Paul's life, we see that there was a spirit of endurance when he said, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have completed the task that was set out before me. But we also see that endurance was earlier in Apostle Paul's life too. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we find him writing these words, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And then he goes on to say this, and let us, say this with me, church please, run with endurance the race God has set before us. Run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And then he concludes in verse 2 that we're looking at this morning. We do this by keeping our eyes where? On Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. In the peak of Paul's ministry, his message oozes with endurance. Run the race, he said. Run the race with what? Run the race with endurance that God has set before you. 
How did Paul endure? I think that's a good question for us to ask this morning. How did Paul endure? How, a better question is, how do we endure? Well, we know that Paul endured, but how do we now in 2023, how do we endure this life? Well, Paul answers our question with this statement in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Do you remember what it was? This is what Paul said, by keeping our eyes on, on Jesus. By keeping our eyes on Jesus. In keeping our eyes on Jesus, we begin to see the importance of endurance because life matters and people matter and obedience matters. Acts chapter 14, we discover, uh, we once again discover that Paul is enduring on his journey on his first road trip to Iconium. We see this in, in, on the map this morning. You'll see up in the far left-hand side of the screen, um, Antioch, which is not Antioch, Syria. Um, that's where Paul was last week. You heard about it. Now he's traveling down to Iconium, which is kind of south and to the east is where he lands this morning. And this is what we find in the first seven verses of chapter 14 that we're going to read together this morning. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went on, uh, went as usual into the Jewish synagogue They were uh, where they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greek, Greeks believed. And then in verse 2, But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Then in verse 3, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. They were doing miraculous things. In verse 4, the people of the city were what, church? They were divided. And some sided with the Jews, others with, sided with the apostles. And then, then in verse 5, there was a plot afoot among the, both Jews, uh, both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and to stone them. Then in verse 6, but they found out about it and fled to uh, Lacedo- uh, Laconian cities of Lystra and Derby, and to the surrounding country. Then in verse 7, we've read all of this that's gone on in six verses. In verse 7, where they continue to do what? To preach the gospel. Wow. That's endurance, is it not? After all of that, they continue to preach the gospel. Luke crams a lot of stuff into seven verses as he's writing here in chapter 14. And he crams it in much like you would cram in a family of five and all their belongings into a Honda Civic for a two-week road trip. He just packs a lot in to these seven verses. There are eight major highlights or events or significant things that happen in the seven verses. And I want to just kind of recap them for you this morning very, very quickly. Paul continues to teach and preach in the synagogues. From the moment he left Antioch, Syria, he has been dotted along in the path. He has stopped at every synagogue along the way to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And then it flared out into the communities from there. So he's doing the same thing here in this city. He is going into the Jewish synagogue and he is preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. We see that the Holy Spirit continues to anoint the apostles' words, and both Jews and Gentiles are believing the message of Jesus. That people are coming into the synagogue to hear the words of Paul as he's preaching. We see that those who do not believe are stirring up a very toxic environment. So those who do not believe the message that Paul is teaching, they're being troublemakers. There's not a lot that's changed over the last 2,000 years, has there? They're stirring up trouble. 
Then we see, fourth, that signs and wonders are accompanying the message that Paul's sharing and preaching. So the words that he is proclaiming that are anointed by the Holy Spirit are actually backed up by actions because he is now doing miraculous signs and wonders. And people are seeing this. Five, we see that there is a clear vision between those who believe and those who don't. There is a clear division between those who believe and those who don't. Six, we see that there is a hostile plan to silence Paul and Barnabas. Seven, we see that the apostles decide that they're going to leave town. And eight, what do we see? The gospel message continues to be preached and taught. Talk about endurance. It's kind of like that road trip the primes were on a few years ago. At any one point, at any one of those junctures of the eight, you could go, I'm going home. Paul said, Paul could have said, let's pack up our bags, let's head back to Jerusalem. I've got some tomato plants that we can plant in the villa, and we just we don't need this stuff that's going on. Paul is directly involved in eight major events that happens in seven verses. And despite the challenges, as one of them being pretty significant, they're, they're threatening to take his life. Paul continues to endure and run the race that is set out before him. Paul had an endurance for the sake of Christ that few people seem to understand. Let me say that again. Paul had an endurance for the sake of Jesus Christ that few people understand or even want to understand. Can I be fully transparent with you this morning? I'm always pretty transparent, I think. I'm not certain that we understand in North American culture what it means to endure for the sake of Christ. When you begin to read and study here the Apostle Paul and what he went through, I'm not really sure in North American culture that we are at that level that we understand what it means to endure for the sake of Jesus. Trevin Wax offers this thought-provoking statement. He said, when we say we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we must remember what happened to the hands and feet of Jesus. Right? The North American church has a lot of people who say, I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but I'm not sure we fully understand what it means to endure, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, what actually happened to the hands and feet of Jesus. What would, uh, would you have continued to preach the message of Jesus if your life was threatened? If they were threatening you and wanting to take you outside of the town and stone you to death? Would you have continued to endure the message of Jesus Christ and to share the good news? While conducting crusades in 1959, the Billy Graham crusade introduced a song that gained popularity. We don't sing it so much in the church anymore, but we certainly did in the 60s and 70s and 80s. It was a song entitled, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Anybody ever hear that song before? I have, a lot of people have. I have decided to follow Jesus. Billy Graham's Crusades introduced that new song in 1959. The song has roots from the 19th century that comes out of India where a man and his family became followers of Jesus. And because they became followers of Jesus, their newfound faith saw them standing before their execution before an execution. They were murdered because of their faith in Christ. And as they're being murdered, the father of the family begins to speak words, and these are the words, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus, though none goes with me. Still I will what, church? I will follow. 
and the world behind me, the cross before me. He knew what happened to the hands and feet of Jesus. As he's standing there and his family is being executed because of their faith in Jesus Christ, he promises to endure with the message, I have decided to follow Jesus, amen. How many of us would do that this morning? How many would say, though none go with me, still I will follow, and the world behind me, the cross before me, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus is to remember what happened to the hands and the feet of Jesus, and with endurance we run the race set before us, and if the race takes us to our place of execution, so be it, but may we say in that place, I have decided to follow Jesus. Amen? That, my friends in church, is endurance. That is the endurance of Paul we see in the Apostle Paul's life here in the book of Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, we discover a few things that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, we discover that Paul was enduring the good, the bad, and the ugly. He was enduring the good, the bad, and the ugly. Paul endured the good. What was the good in Acts chapter 14? Well, the good news is that Jesus was being proclaimed. His message was going out. And both Jews and Gentiles were becoming followers of Jesus Christ. And their lives were being changed. And their families' lives were being changed because they were embracing the message that Paul was preaching. It was a very good moment in the life of Paul. In looking at the history books, we discover one historian, Fingen was his name, said this about the Apostle Paul at being at Iconium, he said, he was a man of little stature, thin-haired on the head, crooked in the legs, a good state of body, with eyebrows joining together, and nose somewhat hooked, full of grace. Well, he wasn't full of looks, if that's the description. (laughs) Full of grace. But then listen to what the historian says. He appeared like a man, and sometimes he had the face of an angel. I'd love for somebody to say that about me. He had the face of an angel. God was moving in such a powerful and extraordinary ways through Paul and Barnabas that Paul endured the good. There was good things happening. People were coming to know Jesus Christ. There were miraculous things happening. And and the town of Iconium, or the city of Iconium, was being transformed by the power of the message of Jesus Christ. Those were good, good days. But Paul also endured the bad. The jealous and unbelieving were creating a toxic environment. Paul's leadership and the leaders of the synagogue and the city were clashing. Words were being said. Threats were being made. And half the city was divided. From the church's infancy to 2023, there continues to be toxic churches and toxic people who desperately want to control the narrative to derail God's most excellent plan. Amen? But Paul endured the bad. Despite a group of people who were toxic, who wanted to thwart the plans of God, Paul said, no way, I'm continuing to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul endured the ugly. He not only endured the good, the bad, but he endured the ugly. The environment was so toxic that a plan was devised to terminate his life. It doesn't get any more uglier than that, does it? When someone wants to murder you, Paul endured the ugly. The secret sauce for Paul enduring the good, the bad, and the ugly, do you know what it was? It was the Holy Spirit. This is what else we discover in Acts chapter 14. That Paul enduring the good, the bad, and the ugly is possible only through the power of the what, church? The power of the Holy Spirit. Paul 
filled with the Holy Spirit, knew that life matters. That every second that God gives to you, make it matter. He knew that. He knew that people mattered. That people who do not know Jesus, they matter. People who know Jesus matter. People matter. He knew that. And he knew that obedience matters. I'm sure Paul's experience at Iconium inspired the words of Romans chapter 8. In verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, we find these words. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Then he writes in verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to what, church? Life and peace. In verse 7. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. The sinful nature is always hostile to God. The half of Iconium that was against Paul and against Barnabas and against the gospel message of Jesus Christ, they were in their sinful nature hostile towards God. Do you know every church split that's happened in history? And do you know every toxic church there is where there are toxic people? It is seldom. It is the spirit of righteousness that dwells in those places. It is often the spirit of a sinful nature that is hostile towards God. Somebody wants it their way rather than God's way. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. Then he said in verse 8, that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never what, church? Can never please God. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us endure the good, the bad, and the ugly. Amen? When the Holy Spirit controls our heart and controls our mind and controls our soul, the Spirit becomes this corner person in our life. If I say this name, you probably do not know who it is. Maybe some of you would. Angelo Dundee. He's on the screen. He's next to somebody you probably do recognize, Muhammad Ali. For two decades, Muhammad Ali terrorized people in the ring, knocking them out, taunting them, saying such things as, fly like a butterfly, sting like a... You've heard it before. He absolutely dominated the, the ring for two decades. But standing in Muhammad Ali's corner was a man by the name of Angelo Dundee. For two decades, he was there. And he described his job as a corner man in this way. He said, when you're working with a fighter, you're a surgeon, engineer, and a psychologist. Well, that's a pretty good statement. When you're working with a fighter, you're a surgeon, an engineer, and a psychologist. Can I say something this morning? As followers of Jesus Christ, we have something even better than a surgeon. We have something that's better than an engineer, something that's better than a psychologist in our corner. It's the Holy Spirit. Paul had something better than a surgeon, an engineer, a psychologist in his corner. He had the Holy Spirit in his corner going to bat for him, leading him, guiding him, taping him back up, saying, you can do this. Go back out there. I'm with you. I'm in you. i am filled you. I've empowered you. I will give you the words to say, and I will give you the miracles to perform. I'm with you. When the Holy Spirit is active in a believer's life, there are three visible attributes that you will see. So how do we know if someone's filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, here's some things that we see in the life of Paul. Power and authority that brings life change. Power and authority that brings life change. The apostles' lives were being changed and transformed, but not only their lives, the lives of the people in the city. 
They were being changed and transformed. Luke indicated that half the city embraced the life-changing message that, that Paul was preaching through the power of the Holy Spirit. The primary mission of the Holy Spirit is to help advance the life-changing message of the Gospel. Amen? That's the primary mission of the Holy Spirit is to advance the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. We see it at Pentecost where they are given the gift of tongues, where they're able to communicate in, in languages that the people understood. What was the purpose of this? So that people could uh, speak in exotic languages? No, the purpose of it was so that the gospel message could be heard all in all kinds of languages. The mission of the Holy Spirit is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, that He has died and rose again, and that He forgives us of our sins. Amen? Ray Comfort makes this uncomfortable statement. He said, if you're not concerned about your neighbor's salvation, then I'm concerned for yours. If the Holy Spirit is living within us, friends, and has filled us with, with power and authority, then we should be wanting to see not only life change in us, but we should be wanting to see life change in other people too. Amen? When the power of the Spirit is working in us, it will change not only our life, but other people's lives too. When the Holy Spirit is active in a believer's life, there's another visible attribute. It's this one. Encouragement and peace to steady the soul. Encouragement and peace to steady the soul. Rather than rock the boat, rather than try to fight a war and divide a city, Paul and Bartimaeus were encouraged by the Spirit to move on to the next town in a peaceful manner. Just like they did when they left Antioch. If you remember from last week, Pastor, Sharon, Pastor Karen was sharing. She was saying, uh, she probably told you at the end of, of chapter 13 that, that Paul and Barnabas dusted off their feet as a warning to the people. And then the next statement, which we often do, we often say that in Christian circles, well, I'm done with you. I'm dusting the, feet, the, I'm dusting the dust off my feet and I'm done with you. I'm moving on. It's a warning to you. But the next part was, they did this and then they were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit and moved on to the next town. Rather than rock the boat, they decided, just like they did in Antioch, to leave town. Filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is active in our life, there is encouragement and peace to steady the soul. There's something else, though. There is boldness and courage to speak truth. There is boldness and courage to speak truth. In verse 3, Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly for the Lord. There was opposition coming at them, and so they began to speak boldly, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit confirmed their message and enabled them to not only speak the word in truth, but also to perform miraculous signs and wonders. Paul later wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he said this, and we have received God's Spirit, not from the world's Spirit, so we, uh, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Then he goes on to say this, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit. Read with me, church, please. Using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. That's exactly what Paul was doing in Acts chapter 14. Using the Holy Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. Paul continued his road trip of endurance, leaving the city of Iconium and traveling down to Lystra and De uh, Der Derby. 
And again, the Holy Spirit led them, and they were equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the apostles were. And the same scenario kind of unfolds at Lystra. Here's what we see. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. So he's just left one hostile environment, went to another town, but the people that were uh, toxic followed him, and they began to stir up this town, and they began to come against Paul. And then this is what we find. Uh, But as the believers gathered around him, so he's been stoned, uh, he got up and went back into the town. How many would do that this morning? He got up and went back into the town. And the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Talk about endurance. Talk about endurance. Knock me down, I'll get back up and come right back in. That's what he was doing. We see on the map this morning that he went from Antioch down to Iconium to Lystra, and now he's gone down to Derby. And here's what we find when he's down in Derby. And the, and the verses in verse 21, after preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of uh, Physidia. And then in verse 22, where they strengthened the believers, they encouraged them to continue in faith, reminding them what we must, uh, that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. What do you suppose Paul said in that statement? Let me tell you some of the things that I've endured, he, he probably told them. And then in verse 23, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. That's how they began their trip, with prayer and fasting. If you remember back in Acts chapter 12 and 13, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And then in verse 24, finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria where, they had, where the journey had begun. So now the, the road trip, the first road trip is complete. They've left Antioch traveled down to Derby, back again all the way to Antioch where they started. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. What a wonderful road trip this has been for the Apostle Paul. Why? Because Paul endured. And you'll see it on the road trip. This is the actual trip that they made, leaving from Antioch all the way to Derby, all the way back to Antioch. Um, the trip was probably took about 10 months to complete for Paul, and it probably was about 1,400 miles. That would be about 2,250 uh, miles. If you were to get in your car from Halifax, you would need to go to Charlotte, North Carolina to travel that distance. They did it with the Holy Spirit's guidance and power. What do we see from Paul's first road trip? That's the question this morning. What do we see from Paul's first road trip? We see endurance. There are a lot of things that we could say about Paul's first road trip, but I think the thing that stands out to me the most as I've read this over and over again is that Paul had endurance to finish the race that was set out before him. All of us have a race that God has given to us. The Holy Spirit has set out a race for all of us to run. The question is, will we run that race with such endurance as Paul shows us. In 1991, Runner's World magazine carried a story about Beth Ann DeCantis, who attempted to qualify for a 1992 Olympic trials marathon. She wasn't going to the Olympics, but she was trying to qualify for the trials to see if she could be a representative at the, World, or at the Olympics. Beth would need to complete a 26-mile run 
a 385-yard race in less than two hours and 45 minutes. I'd just give up. I'd just go home. Beth started strong. She was around, uh, she was doing well, but she started to run into trouble about mile 23. She reached the straightaway at 243, and she needed to cross the finish line 245. Just two minutes left to qualify, 200 yards from the finish line, Beth stumbled and fell. Dazed, she was down for what seemed like minutes, but it was only actually 20 seconds. And the crowd began instantly to shout, get up, get up, get up. Can you imagine people gathered around the finish line yelling, get up, get up. The clock was ticking away with 2.44, less than a minute to go. Beth Ann staggered to her feet and began walking. Five yards short of the finish, with 10 seconds to go, she fell again. Guess what the crowd said? Get up. Get up. She began to crawl. And she crawled across the finish line with the people cheering her on. Beth crossed the finish line on her hands and knees in two hours, 44 minutes, and 57 seconds. Three seconds to spare. Endurance is about completing the race that Jesus has set before you. The Holy Spirit has a road trip for you this morning. Oh, it may not be to Antioch or Cyprus or Conium, but the Holy Spirit has a road trip for you. It may be a neighbor across your street. It may be someone that you work with. It may be someone in this church. It may be some friend. It may be some family. But the Holy Spirit has a road trip for you. And the Holy Spirit wants you to go on that road trip. And the Holy Spirit will empower you and strengthen you and help you run the race that is set before you as you go to share the good news of Jesus Christ to those whom God has called us to. Will you run the race that is set before you? Endurance, sometimes endurance means finishing the race in record time. Other times, it means that you finish the, cross, the finish line on your hands and knees with three seconds to spare. But either way, it's endurance. Enduring to run the race that is set out before you. Remember what Shackleton said, his life motto? By endurance, we succeed. By endurance, we conquer. By endurance, we finish the race. Now, I know there's a lot of factors that go into that endurance. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the guidance of Jesus Christ. We need a lot of things. But you need a will that will endure. That says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back that says, though none go with me, still I will what? I will still follow. The world behind me, the cross before me. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to help you run the road trip with endurance that God has set out before you? That's the question this morning. Because I can't help but feel that there are a few in this room who are about to quit, who are about to give up, I can't handle one more black bear. I can't handle one more toxic person. I can't handle one more thing to go wrong. 
I'm giving up. When God is saying, I'm not done yet, I give you power and authority to endure, to press on, to finish the race, just like Paul did. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads this morning? I'd love to pray with you this morning. Maybe you're in that position this morning. If you're watching online this morning, there's a text number. We'd love for you to text that number if you're struggling this morning. We will pray with you and pray for you. In this room and those who are watching online this morning, maybe you're in that position. Maybe you're like, Pastor, I, I'm, I'm ready to quit. I'm, I'm fed up. I'm, I'm done. Just one more thing goes wrong and that's it. Maybe you feel like that this morning. I'd love to pray for you this week. All I'm asking you to do is slip up your hand, be honest with God and be honest with me this morning. Yes, thank you. Pray for me. I don't feel like running this race anymore. Pray for me. Thank you. Maybe you're running the race this morning and you're just needing a little extra power, a little extra authority, a little extra boost of the Holy Spirit this morning. I'd love to pray with you this morning as well. When we are done, there will be people waiting here at the front that would love to pray with you this morning. We want you to run the race that's set out before you. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your truth this morning. We thank you for the Apostle Paul. There's just so much that happened in that trip. So much good, so much bad, so much ugly. And through it all, he endured by the power of your Holy Spirit. And because of it, hundreds and thousands of people came to know you, Jesus. I pray today that no matter what we face, whether it be good, bad, or ugly, that we are resolved within our spirit, equipped by your spirit, to run the race that's set out before us, that with endurance, we will cross the finish line, that with endurance, we will succeed. Give us that fortitude this morning, I pray, every one of us in this room and watching online this morning, to run the, to run the race and to run it well through your power and through your strength. In Jesus' name we pray.